Welcome, uh, guys, to the very latest Bolt from the Blue podcast. Now, I have with me in the studio and Mr. Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. A long time no see. Um, it's nice to have a, a chance to do something like this. And, and of course, since we've spoken, um, certain things have um, passed. Uh, <laughs> to pass and um, nice World Club, World Club Cup badge on my shirt and of course Champions League and um, Premier League and FA Cup and all those things so yeah yeah it's been a great time to be a City fan hasn't it it's fantastic now guys for you for those of you listening I can't promise you Colin Savage every week I can't promise you Walter every every week but we've got something strong to say that they, they, they will weigh in but let's talk about this game against uh, Tottenham now um, we never beat them at their ground Oh, what happened? The five trophies were just the, the, the hors d'oeuvre to this one, wasn't it? Um, you know, that's the big one. Scoring at the new White Hart Lane, the Tottenham Stadium, and, and beating them. But of course, we've got a decent record, well, decent record at White Hart Lane in the FA Cup, because we, 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 we were talking about the 1981 final, which of course was a very memorable game, not necessarily for the right reasons to a City fan. No one ever talks about the 2004 replay. Uh-huh. Fourth round. So it must have been it must have been pretty well ten yeah, twenty years since to the day since that game, I'm not sure, but um that was an equally memorable one, wasn't it? But not for Spurs. Not you know, for Spurs fan not for the right reasons, of course. But um uh yeah, so uh, yeah, to to because just before we scored, I remember the commentator saying last night, that's Manchester City's a hundred shot on Tiger at the new stadium without registering a goal. So uh, mm-hmm. I think, we're, you know, Maidstone beat at Ipswich was put in the shade as a Evan Cup shot by City actually scoring up the new White Hart Lane. Now, oh, um, oh, Bernard, well done. We have actually got Bernard. Bernard, how are you doing? I'm all right, mate. Can we try to kill It's about quarter to nine inches of it. I mean, I'm so lucky from last night. I had two hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew you wouldn't fail us, Bernard. You know, the five trophies, the quintuple, just the hors d'oeuvre, just the warm-up to the big one, wasn't it? Like, scoring at Spurs, that alone winning. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, guys, what we were just about to do before um, uh, Bernard came on was to talk about the lineup, and that is where Bernard um, has a lot of things to say. Um, what do you think is the lineup, Bernard? Yeah, I got ten. I was I was quite happy with that. I don't, I don't know how many how many did you get, mate, before that before I go on to it. I got six. Six. <laughs> six? You got more than six, surely. Yeah, well, obviously I, I did well, I started off badly. I didn't get the keeper right. I thought Edison would play. Um, he never plays Edison in the FA Cup. I had um everyone that you I, I thought that Holland was coming back. Uh, I, you know, it was a disaster. Uh, but I'm glad I didn't publish it. But you're going to tell me that you did a, li- a little bit better. Well, go on. What, what, did, uh, what did young Colin get? Let me just uh, get this up. What did Colin get? Well, of course, I wasn't officially well on it, but I think you're right. Ortega, I, I don't understand this experiment of playing Guardiola left-back when you've got Ake who could do, I think, yeah. a better yeah. job. But, um, yeah. But yeah, I think that would have been the probably would have been the back four I'd have gone for. Uh, Kovacic right in midfield, yeah, I'd have gone for that. Up front, I think he'd put yeah, Foden Alvarez. I'm surprised 
Bob was a funny one, was he? He rewarded Bob, he rewarded Bob, didn't he, for his Newcastle performance? Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't start with, uh, with Grealish, actually, because Grealish is so much better at holding onto the ball. And, and the one danger last night, and I think uh, Poster Coglu, that, you know, that you could see in the plot, was catches on the break. And that's where Grealish, I think, would have given, given us an advantage, because Bob really didn't play out wide, did he? You know, he played no. more centrally, whether that was to, um, you know, keep the midfield tight, I don't know. But So I think I know this. I think when you've got Gavardio there, I think obviously Gavardio takes on that wide role, doesn't he? And Bob obviously plays more inside. And when, even when Doku's playing, uh, when he's played with Gavardio, it's been, again, he's been coming inside. It's been Gavardio who's been playing right on the wing. Uh, I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give you the team there. Let's, get, let's just give the line-up. Let's just uh, confirm what it was. It was Ortega, Walker, Diaz, Aki, Gavardio, Rodri, Kovacic, Bernardo, Foden, Bob and Alvarez. Yes, so as I said, I, I had uh, Doku in for Bob, but I wasn't surprised that uh, Bob got the game. Do you want to know the Tottenham team, Mike? Yeah, that's far away. Yeah, well, again, uh, sorry about the pronunciations. Vicario, Paro Romero, Van de Ven, Udogi, Hodgeberg, Betanke, Johnson, Kulisewski, Werner, and that wonderful, wonderful superstar called Richarlison, who I think is just uh, a bit of a Lukaku for me. He's brilliant one minute and total donkey the next. That, that, that was a strong line from Spurs, wasn't it? I mean... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's well, I mean, so you were down there, but um, I was watching it on TV. I think possibly Colin was as well. But um, one thing that the the commentators kept stressing was about Timo Werner on uh, the wing side play and exposing our defensive frailties. Now, the funny thing about that was that every time he burst through, he was thwarted by by Walker or by someone else, and yet they were saying that this was the, the, the dangerous threat. I, I don't know, Colin, I wasn't that worried. I mean, it was a bit of a snooze fest until halftime, but um, I, I know, guys, um, let, let's start with Colin. Did, did you perceive a dangerous threat from Timo Werner down one of our sides? There was no son who really, is he? Um, let's be honest. No, I didn't see a threat. But, you know, there's a few times where they, they, they kind of broke through, uh, looked potentially a bit dangerous, but they only, they only ended up with one shot on target. Yeah. So, no, we, I, I didn't see much danger there, to be honest. And I think, I think Costa Cogli played a very conservative game. Uh, and I think what we did well was press them back. You know, at that first half, they, they rarely got out of their own half, did they? A bit better in the second half, which is where, where most of the threat, I think, seemed to come from. But, you know, uh, you can't break if you haven't got the ball. And, and, and we just control that. Certainly the first half, we controlled that beautifully. Mm-hmm. Well, Bernd, you were there. Any slight fluctuations of blood pressure in that first half? <laughs> no, I'm, I think the thing, I think Tottenham were playing for a draw to take us back to the Etihad. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's what they were doing. They were obviously, on the basis, they were better there than their, their own ground, but I don't know why, of course, with our record. But I don't feel like we allowed them to play that much. I think, I think uh, you know, I think Colin hits it on the head there. I thought we 
played very well without being anything spectacular. We didn't look at that great ourselves, but we actually controlled the game probably more than we have done recently in some of the games I've watched. We only had about 57% of the play, but it seemed a lot more than that to me. And our passing wasn't fantastic, only about 87%, which is low. But I think I think the way the Tottenham players were flying in with the, with the, the tackles, uh, that doesn't surprise me, because uh, uh, they did enjoy getting themselves on the floor, either throwing themselves onto the floor and pretending to be in injured or throwing themselves to the floor to get a block in so uh, all credit to Poston Coglu and his uh, his warriors uh, they certainly fought for it but I don't I just they just seemed to lack a little bit of guile last night um, of course Madison came on late on didn't he but uh, I think I was far too late for him to have any sort of real impression on the game I just thought we controlled it nicely in fairness and there's little as Colin said we had little, little gaps in the first half where they took a little bit of control and in the second half similar but Overall, the, the 100 minutes or so that we played, apart from uh, lines were not being mic'd up and VAR decisions that took about 10 minutes, um, all the 100 odd minutes we played, I thought we probably controlled uh, 80%, 85% of the game. Now, Colin, we scored a goal. Then please do not tell me that you think that that was not a goal. I mean, if we're talking about millimetres, like, I'm not talking about mill, I'm talking about fractions of millimetres. That was a goal. I am really angry about this. I'm looking over to your cold-blooded opinion. I think we've probably had this conversation before, but, you know, the more that the authorities tinker with the offside law, the more of a mockery they make of it, because it's about gaining an advantage. You know, Oscar Bell been hanging on, you know, on the six-yard line while we played out from our, our, our own penalty area. Yeah, fair enough. But, you know, offside is about gaining an advantage. And, you know, you think back to that Champions League quarterfinal that the Etihad. You know, uh, Aguero, was it Sterling or Aguero? Yeah, yeah. Offside. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we suffered. It, it was bad enough getting that lot on at half time. The eighty-one guys that was bad enough last night. I don't, I don't want to think back to the quarter final of the Champions League as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's the whole point of the offside law is to stop the opposition forward or any opposition player gaining an unfair advantage. Is is anyone? I, mean, I don't care. It's not just us, but anyone whose toe is offside gaining genuinely gaining an advantage because to me it's daft and and we often talk about this you know when we're actually at the match at the Etihad and to me if you look at the replay and assistance generally pretty good um although I always remember the one the old I highlight when Carl Walker playing for Spurs was at least two yards offside in front of the assistant and he didn't he didn't um flag but the vast majority of the time, the assistants are really good, and they get it right. Far more often, you know, 98, 99% of the time, they get it right with the naked eye. Now, to me, if you look at a replay and say, would I expect, is it obvious, clear and obvious, because that's the whole part of VAR, um, and even if it's not, if you looked at that with the naked eye, if you can't see it within 15, 20 seconds, then to me, you play on. You know, you, you give the attacker the benefit of the doubt. I'm always messing about with the offside law and, and, and everything they've done about it. Everything they've done has made it worse. I mean, it used to be, those of Bernard will probably remember, but if we'd been attacking on the left and a player on the right was offside, even if that player never touched the ball, the lines were on the flag, which was ridiculous, equally ridiculous. Because, you know, when they came up with 
is it is it um, is the player affecting play or involved in in play, which was a bit of a better idea, but it's gone to such a stupid place now that we've got to go back and rethink it. You know, and say things like, is it obvious? You know, would a competent official should a competent official have flagged this? Or or if you look at the first replay, is it obvious? You know, someone's yard in front, fair enough. If someone's toes in front, you think is that really gaining advantage? Right over. Mm-hmm. And um I, I try to put myself in the position sometimes of opposition supporters and what they would feel. I mean, that was a goal. If not, I'm a monkey's uncle. <laughs> what did you think? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there, it was up the other end, of course, to where, where we were, so we don't get a good view of it, of course. But uh, the amount of time it took, uh, I, I thought it was going to be called as a goal because, you know, it seemed, I don't know how long it did take. It felt felt ages, of course, when you're there watching and waiting and hoping and not hoping because I, I don't think most of the City fans hoped it was a goal anyway. I think most of us had accepted that probably offside that. I mean, it was too too close in for it not to be. But, of course, as uh, Colin said, it was very, very, very tight indeed. And, and Mike has said, uh, you've said, Mike, uh, you know, the blue and the red line were virtually... I, th- I think if it'd been a size nine instead of size eleven boot, I think it would have been all right. Once it, I think it would have would have uh, would have actually <laughs> counted. So his big feet caused a problem on that one. But uh, yeah, opposition. The trouble with VAR, it just take it does just take out that that emotion. I mean, yeah. all you had to do in the old days was look at the linesman. If the linesman had his flag up, we didn't celebrate. If he did, if he didn't have his flag up, we celebrated, and now we have to wait for what feels like hours to well, get this. He did have his flag up for that one, didn't he? I think, if I remember right. I can't I was going to ask you actually if he did have his flag up. I can't. Oh, after the event, didn't he? But obviously, it did go up, and I think that's why most of the fans thought, "Oh, it's offside." Yeah. Another, you know, another manifestation of this uh, interpretation of the offside law is is when not raising the flag. Well, you can tell me that. I'm saying that you can't blame the lines. Cannot raise his flag on that one at first because it was so tight, of course. Yeah, but anyway, it, it, it's all very stupid. And yeah, we've never changed. We're not going to alter, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, there's nothing we can come on here and say and bang on about this all we want and we'll talk how simple it could all be made. But you just can't see it's going to be changed. In anything, it's just getting more complicated as seasons go by. Well, Bernard, um, we had a very uh, interesting little pre-pod discussion. And I was thinking that their stadium is the most beautiful thing in the world. And um, (laughs) you had the experience. So tell us about your experience at that stadium. I'm not going to bang on it, because I've got a vlog coming out, and it'll last about 40 Okay, minutes. so you don't need to say too much, I'm but tell me, give me your impression. I mean, I didn't have a great night, I'll be honest with you, I was a bit, I'm a bit more in a better mood today, but it wasn't a great night from getting, not lost, but I got mixed in with a few uh, nasty Spurs fans, they didn't pick on me particularly, but they were picking on other, other people and stuff, other City fans, women and stuff like this, and they were very loud and leery, because I, I took a wrong turn. So he didn't get off to a great start, but obviously I wanted to, you know, it's it's just the ugly side, isn't it? We see it, we see it, it's there, that's what it is. Anyway, uh, the thing is, in the stadium, and I think that's what we'll talk about, there's a bit of a mess up with the ticket, uh, I was 
sent to the wrong entrance and a few City fans were, we literally had to wait to be escorted back out of the ground, even though our cold reader we got in. We had to be wait we had to wait at this entrance for some Tottenham ladies to come and escort us round to where we should be uh, and let us in. Then they scanned our codes again. I think I think they scanned our barcodes about four times last night. It was it's worse than COVID it was. It was absolutely awful. Um I just thought inside I just thought it's very small. I was only in block one one four, which is one of the lower levels. I don't know, Carl, have you been have you been to the new stadium. I've not been to the new stadium yet. No. And I was in, whether this is standard for all the blocks, I'm not too sure. But the gangways are very narrow. The the, the sort of path, you know, the pathways to the concourse are very narrow. It took it took you a good ten minutes to try and get out of the stand at half time. It was absolutely ridiculous. Then when you got out onto the concourse, it was just carnage. I mean, you know, Cole, you know, Mike probably know some of these away grounds do have rubbishy concourses, the old yeah. grounds. But this is this is a modern ground. This should this shouldn't be where you can't move and it's a health and safety hazard. And that's what it is. I'm alright. I'm all. I'm 65. A lot of people enjoy themselves. But I just thought it was, for a new ground, I just thought it was very poorly designed. Uh, from the outside, signage is rubbish. It doesn't tell you where to go. I mean, I've got block. I've got a block on my ticket that doesn't even exist when you get to the stadium. There's no such thing. So what it says on my ticket doesn't tell you what's, what's there. So all simple things like that you think they'd get right that just aren't right. So visually, fantastic. You know, looking at it on the telly. But for me, logistically... In a, around the ground, I was just wasn't very impressed at all. All right, guys. Well, don't judge a book by its cover. I always thought that that was beautiful uh, a stadium. I've I've never I've never uh, been there, but um, it looks great on TV. But <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's move into the uh, second half, uh, guys. Um, let's talk about the impact of the substitutions. What did you think, uh, Colin? I think um, we started the second half okay, and then Spurs came back into it. So uh, uh, Alvarez, I think, was struggling, and um, he missed a city. Uh, he missed. A, he missed a really good chance, didn't he? Oh yeah, really did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although it was quite funny that because I, I was listening on TV, Ali McCoist was the co-commentator. I normally like Ali McCoist; he doesn't have a, a side or an angle to him. But but it, his initial reaction was, I wasn't. I must admit, mine was. How the hell did he miss that? And then he got a replay and said, I think, oh, we got a corner. And he said, I think it must have been deflected. Mm. And actually, it was a really good tackle. Yeah. Um, but, but I think one of, one of the things that, I think one of the few criticisms that I, I, I made last night, and I, I'm never usually very critical. I am, say, usually very critical. But it seems to be very lackadaisical around the box. You know, take a torch instead of taking a shot, pass, Instead of having a go, yeah, it was all. did later on, didn't he? Uh, he, he took too long over a chance and, and flipped yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and um, that that seemed to me the, the kind of a pattern of the half, really. And um, so Alvarez, he struggled the last few months. To be honest, he's not had the he's not made the same sort of contribution that he was making well, last season. I you know, thought when he scored his goal, what was it? Full, I can't remember. Uh, I thought you might come, you know, you might be finding a bit of confidence, but uh, whether we're just playing in the wrong place, I don't know. Bob really didn't make a huge contribution last night, but again, I think he was playing too central. I think he should have been outside. And um, I think, so I think, I think, I think, I think that was the right. Yeah, I think, not, normally, we, sorry, normally we 
Pep makes a substitute and everyone thinks, why the hell did he do that? You know, when he took Bernardo off it, Newcastle was like, why is he taking Bernardo off? Because we had to win the game, so you don't argue with Pep. But the, the substitution he made, I think, was at the right time, the right people, uh, and the right replacement. Uh, although, my, I, I said on Twitter, Docker looked like he'd been woken up out of a deep sleep to come on. <laughs> I did call him that dope poo on my little thing that I do. He didn't look with it at all. And, we, we, and so, so looking back, that was, I understand what Pope was doing, bringing a more attacking line-up in, but he never did anything. Uh, but moving phone into the middle, I think, was, was a big thing. So... Um, yeah, I, I thought there were the right substitutions. If Doku had turned up, um, you know, put his boots on the right feet, it would probably have been a better substitution. But, um, you know, Kev, I, I suppose you could say he got the assist. He declared in the corner for the uh, for the goal. But it, was, it was interesting, wasn't it? We seemed to be targeting that near post area every time. But it was just back corners, but it was a pre-arranged plan. I mean, we never seemed to have anyone there at the near post. Actually, you know, I don't think the ball was too heavy for him, mate. He's, he's a bit weak now after being out for so long. I don't think he's getting good muscles. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what Alves's excuse is, though. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't very effective. Uh, yeah, and, and, and neither was Bob, I think. And uh, I think there about Bob. I, th- I think Bob played to what Pep wanted him to play. I think Pep yeah. told him, uh, try, try to keep it circulating, don't lose yeah. it. Because you saw how he reacted when uh, Doku lost that one. He was, <laughs> he was literally chasing him on the pitch to grab hold of him and, and uh, getting hold of him. But I think I think Bob played exactly how Pep wanted him to play and I think Pep will be happy because he, he played to his rules. As, as in a way Grealish does, doesn't he, to some extent? He, doesn't he? Grealish was the obvious starter for me last yeah. night because he does circulate the ball. Grealish will do what Pep says. Yeah. And I think yeah. Bob was Bob was out to do that well, yeah. as well. Well, you know, it wasn't the uh, you know, it goal of the season. Yeah, um, did you know how many after our, here's a question for both of you. Um how many do you probably know because you probably read up on these things. Uh, the goal came was how many attempts uh, so many attempts at getting a goal. Was, was that hundred and six? Hundred and six not quite. Hundred and one, hundred and two? Hundred and one, yeah. I mean uh, yeah. hundred and one it took us to uh, put, <laughs> put one in the net. <laughs> it was funny actually let's talk about the goal. Because there was only one, and I'd almost fallen asleep by the end of it. So, uh, tell us about what happened. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think Spurs were playing for a replay. Uh, <laughs> it didn't sort of work. And as, as uh, Mike was saying, I don't think it was the greatest corner, but of course, Mr. Rodri and Vicario were having a, a bit of a scrap with it. They were sort of tugging yeah. and pulling each other uh, before the ball had even been delivered. Of course, uh, the referee... But probably some referees might have stopped the game and told them to, you know, just calm down a little bit. I don't think there's anything nasty. I think they were just sort of shoving in. And what would normally happen, or you'd expect to happen, is for a defender to come and sort of try and protect his keeper as well. But they, they obviously just left him to it. And I think one of the angles shows the ball coming in 
And it looks as though uh, he actually backs into the keeper, doesn't he? But what he's done, he's been pushed, hasn't he? He was, he was pushed, and all he was coming, do, all he was trying to do was get back into position because the keeper had pushed him slightly. So obviously, this excuse that uh, he actually backed deliberately into the keeper isn't true because he got he got pushed aside in the first place. And of course, he's still Sorry, go on, man. He was trying to play the ball, wasn't he? Yeah. I think he's well, I don't know, you know, footballers are clever like that, but his eyes were on the ball and the ball he ended up where the ball ended up. Yeah. I'm not sure if he got a touch on it or Vicario got a touch on it, but he was where the ball ended up. So yeah. you know, you've got to be allowed to go for the ball. I, th- I think we all agree goalkeepers are far too I mean we saw it with Liverpool was it Liverpool game where we got one disallowed yeah. it was no you know, they're far too protected. I mean, if that was a goal last night, that goal against Liverpool should have stood as well, in my opinion, because there wasn't much in it. And of course, uh, old Nathan, he has a habit of being in the right place at the right time, doesn't he? And his reactions were extremely quick. It bounced, and it was a good chest height, but rather than sort of go with his head, he sort of stuck his boot up and, uh, and put it in the net. And of course... Um, I think the city the city players were that happy celebrating that much that I thought, well, it's probably a goal that because I haven't really seen what had gone on, but they were that happy about it. There's no looking back or looking at a linesman or the referee, and I thought, hey, it must be, it'll be allowed this. But again, uh, celebrations are muted a little bit because we just thought there was more to it from the Tottenham's point of view than there was. So, but once obviously the VAR said it's fine and whatever, uh, yes, uh, joyous celebrations and uh, we've scored a goal chance from the City end. Uh, Colin, Nathan Ake is just the player that you want to have. I mean, he's such a gentleman. I mean, even after the game, they were trying to provoke him into reveling in that goal. And um, he basically said, um, the ball was there to be struck. I struck it. It was kind of like really darn playing it. But I tell you what, um, Colin, this season, he's looked a man, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. You know, Diaz has had his problems. Um, there was one incident last night where Diaz, under no pressure, just hoofed the ball out for a throwing, but he didn't panic and didn't need to. But Ake always looks so, always looks so cool, doesn't he? You, you know, you can play him at centre-back, you can play him at left-back, um, I think he's even popped into midfield occasionally, but yeah, he just never lets us down, does he? Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, you can criticise Diaz occasionally, you can criticise Kanji, who sometimes, you know, goes work about Diaz, rush a ball to the head, but okay, never let us down. Mm-hmm. Bird, um, anything else? Uh, we're desperate to, to, to talk to you, Colin, about a few things that you might uh, understand that we want to talk to him about but um, are there any other little uh, moments or any other little uh, plays in that second half that um, struck your fancy you want to talk about uh, I'm just a compliment Ortega um, of course you don't, we don't get much chance to compliment him do we? I'm, never, I'm not overly usually complimentary about our second keepers uh, you know, I'd always like to see Edison play in FA Cups and the major major finals etc but I think there was one chance about the 62nd minute wasn't it where the, the guy got through 
uh, on the edge of the box and of course uh, Ortega came out bravely and I think that was the only chance he had on target he tried to dink him didn't he, he tried to dink Ortega but he made himself big and he's good at that he's very good Ortega at that and I, I thought his distribution he's not as smooth as Edison Edison's far smoother and calmer Ortega's a bit more deliberate about how he passes it out and what he does but his passes were finding City shirts in the middle of the pitch on the rings wherever that I just want to have a little special word for Ortega because of course he doesn't get many chances and I'm not one used to stick up for our second string goalkeepers but I, I thought he had a, a pretty good game and, and overall I think it was a, a very fair result of course uh, and glory glory it's very reliable, Colin. We're, we're going to have a hard job uh, keeping hold of him, I think, Ortega. Who is he? How is he? I don't think he's knocking on a bit, isn't he? He's not a young lad now. Mm-hmm. I, I just believe a lot of the European clubs are sniffing around, and he's so good. He's so solid. Mm. I, I don't think we've ever had a solid number two like him. Yeah, I don't think you can, can you? I don't, uh, top Premier League teams and top European teams, you, you can't really have a, a cracking number two. You can have a stable number two, but it, it's so difficult. But I think at City, you get more games than you would at any other big club. Yeah. Uh, so we really do get more game time. I mean, look at United. They haven't even got a cracking number one, have they? Well, the thing is, guys... Um, with the number two, you, you normally have a youngster or yeah. someone who's a bit superannuated. You don't have someone there who's expecting to get into the first team. And then you've got to keep that guy happy, which is not an easy thing to do. And I would say it's going to be... He's going to get games. Yeah, yeah. It's got, it's, it's, it's got, uh, he's going he's to have games. I, I think the reason we're keeping him is that he's winning stuff. And I don't know about you, but... Um, I think I like lifting up trophies. And uh, if he wants to be a number two somewhere else, well, you're not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that's quite as exciting. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I think, I think we've done okay. I think we're all right at the moment, Norty. And just a quick word, guys, for Kovacic, I thought he played extremely well, up to a point. <laughs> I will use this proviso because I, sometimes I don't, he does some superbs. It's like, it's like, do the 147 break. He gets to 140 and then fluffs the black ball at the end. He, he doesn't always seem to get that last pass right or that last shot. He, he, but he had an excellent game. Quality was all over the place. Obviously, Tottenham fans didn't like him because of his Chelsea connections. But uh, no, I thought it was excellent. But I just want to see. I just want to see that final ball potted. That's all I want to see with him. Well, it's the same criticism of Guardiola, I think. Who, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's one message where he put it, I think he was, I don't think it was a shot across when he hit the corner flag, I think, from one, one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that with him, that, again, that, that, that crucial ball is, is yeah. poor or, or you know, yeah, he, Again, he's a good, he looks good, and then he does something, what the hell's that? You know, you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, um, it was very gratifying, the result, and uh, we move onwards. Now, uh, let's uh, finish off the last sort of like 10 or 15 minutes. We've got Colin Savage, and I'm going to um, ask him a few questions, and the way I'm going to do it is just ask him not a specific question, but just, you know, a topic. Okay, now I- I'll do this for Bernard as well. Number one, Jurgen Klopp. It's not even to do with City. Now, here in, in, in Carrick Ferguson in, in Antrim, if you're tired, you take a nap. You don't quit. <laughs> what on earth is going on there? 
But I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. There's something Bernard. Uh, are you suspicious about this? Let's start off with Bernard and let's go on to Colin. No. Well, why would you be suspicious? Pep had to take a break for a year out, didn't he? When he obviously, you know, he works hard. He's, he's under under pressure and he's under extreme pressure because he's up against a guy called Pep. Uh, he would have won a hell of a lot more in this country without Pep around. Um, yeah, he's had a good stint. He's been there, what, takes him, is it nine years, eight years, nine years? Um yeah, is what it is. I don't know what all the fuss is about. In fairness, you know, we'll obviously, we'll, we'll, when Pep goes, we'll be in the same boat. But uh, it's just a bit, a bit funny. Uh, but again, say it's pressure, isn't it? It's pressure. Of course, um, he needs to recharge, and I've no doubt we'll see him again somewhere very, very soon. But uh, he'll, he'll take his take his money and, and have a bit of a have a bit of a holiday but let's just all, let's, let's just make sure he doesn't go off with too many trophies eh? that's that's our job now as, as city as city is to stop him oh, okay Colin so he says he's not going to do any job um, uh, local or national for a year um, are you buying this that it's basically fatigue or, mm. or do you agree with Bernard it's the pep effect I think you know how long has he been there now I don't know uh, I think he's going to seven years, six or seven years. Twenty fifteen, I think. Twenty fifteen, he joined. That's what I found. Yeah, I mean, he's done a great job considering where they were. You can't, you can't knock him. He comes out with stuff that you, you, you think you'd like to chin him, but you know, look at the If you look at the, always look at the club ELA ratings. Not the, you know, um, not the band, but. Um, ELO ratings are something that, that applied in things like bridge and chess and, uh, and they do it for, for, for football teams. And he's one of the top managers in history for what he's done uh, with the club. So no doubt he's a great manager. And, and it, it's hard to imagine Liverpool will be the better for him going. Um, whoever, even if they get Xavi Alonso in, you know, he's going to play a totally different, probably going to play a totally different style. Um, but you do wonder, there's been murmurs about uh, tensions with the owners about money uh, because one of the things owners are always moaning about is trying to compete with City and our unlimited funds. <laughs> but we're the third, the third club in the recent deletes rich list. So they're not sure, you know, they don't play the players sixpence a week. They're not recruiting from the orphanages of Fazakali and, you know, um, Toxteth and places like that. They're, they're a, top, a top global team with income to match. But they're owned by a group of Americans who want a return on their investment. And, and you know, obviously, you know, I do, I do the figures. I, you know, I went into the figures going back six, seven years for all the top six clubs. So, as I said to a Spurs fan, how they get in the top six, not who did anything, is um, is interesting. But they haven't quite in, invested. You know, you can look at how much cash a club generates, and therefore how much cash they put back into the squad. And City is 100%. Everything goes back into the squad. Liverpool, it's probably about the 80% mark. And, and all right, we've had stadium improvements to pay for, but but there's still a case. Uh, you know, the case for the prosecution uh, is they don't put they don't put all the money they could back into their squad. And I think that may be the cause of some of the tension. Maybe that, that that's kind of got to him. I don't know. Okay. Well, Bernard, let's move on to the next thing. Uh, just as we're finishing off, Omar Barada. Now, if you're a Manchester United fan, you've got to make your mind up. Either this guy was orchestrating and cheating on an enormous scale, 
Oh, he's the best thing since sliced bread, and we've got to bring him in as our chief operating officer. Uh, what, what is their story? <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. But both of the above, but obviously as far as the financial uh, things we're talking about, I will uh, I will pass that on to uh, young Colin. Yeah, Colin. I mean, it can't be both. Either he's a dirty oil cheat, or he's <laughs> the best strategic person in the world. <laughs> What's going well, on? I know, Omar, I know Omar quite well. We worked together at City Matters for two, three years. So, you know, I know him better than most. Uh, and many City fans have said they've never heard of him. But I know he came in... Comes from a commercial background. He's a really nice guy. Really, really lovely guy. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I think very highly of him as a person. Um, he came in on the commercial side, which is what we've done at Barcelona, and um, he would have been involved in a lot of the contracts that we did. However, I, I, and I've said this, and maybe I'm letting my kind of liking for him cloud my judgment. But the Etsy had he didn't come to us till twenty. If, uh, what does it say, 2008? No, 20, 2013 maybe, 2015, I can't remember. But after the, the key Etihad and Etisalat contracts were signed. So he had no say in those. And I suspect those were probably done by someone like Simon Pierce, who was the um, director of City, but obviously was very well connected in Abu Dhabi. So... I suspect those those contracts would have been done by Simon Pierce. People said, yeah, but he would have renegotiated them. And yeah, well, and, and the other thing is, because there's anything dodgy going on, you may well have known about it, but nothing dodgy was going on. You know, this is, um, the Premier League had picked a very odd hill to, to die on with the charges. So I don't think, I don't think anyone said to him at City, um, look, Look, Omar, go out and negotiate this contract, but hide it, because, you know, it's a bit dodgy, and, um, you know, we don't want this kind of coming out. And so I, I, I don't think he's actively gone out and um, done these dodgy contracts. So I, I, I'll defend that position. Uh, and um, and I know that INEOS, obviously Jim Ratcliffe's INEOS, do their due, due diligence. So they wouldn't, I don't think they'd be recruiting him if he, uh, there was any suspicion that he'd been involved in anything dodgy. You know, the, the, the guys who, who you, uh, you know, and also she was in four windows. Well, you know, uh, again, and I'm not onto Stefan on that slightly. I don't think we've gone out, you know, systematically set out to defraud anyone, but the lawyers disagree with me, so who am I to argue with them? So, um, you know, good luck to him. The, the thing is, and I, I think the key thing for me is that, He's going for an environment where he gets all the support. He works in a, an integrated team. He gets all the support from the ownership. Um, and, you know, and we've all worked together before. Very well-oiled, efficient, effective team. Of course, from his commercial side, he went on to be he was chief operator in the office at City, which is where I came into contact with him regularly. It's very quiet. But I think the thing that surprised me when we first met him at City Matters meeting was... He wasn't sat at the top of the table. So we were around the board table. He was just sat at the side. You know, we sat next to each other or something. And, and he wasn't dominating the meetings. Now, I'm not, and I'm not saying that as a criticism. It's a very quiet, thoughtful guy coming at the end and, and make a great point or, or sum up everything. And for me, that's the, for, for, from his point of view, I think that's a bit, that could be his, 
I don't want to say this because I really like the guy. I could be his downfall at United because so he's gone from a, a very well-oiled, integrated, successful machine where they all work together seamlessly to this environment where you've got the Glazers owning it, who virtually nothing about football, Edward Wood has been running the show, uh, and then Richard Arnold, who was a, a bit of a clone, a Woodward clone to the extent they went to the same university, they worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers as accountants. Um, so Radcliffe's come in and he's taken over the football operations side. The, the problem is he's only got 25% ownership. So it's going to run across the same problems that Ferguson had with the Glazers, but sometimes they won't give him the money. So you know, the Glazers probably still on the checkbook, uh, and Radcliffe's going to be coming up with all these plans about you know, how he wants to expand the football operations. And he's got this guy, uh, Jean something Blanc, who's, who's done a job somewhere else. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if you saw this, but there were, in the documents that were filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission of the USA, there were clauses in the, in the document forbidding each side from slagging the other off publicly. And you think, if you've got to put that into a document, you're always ex potentially expecting trouble. And I see a situation, if you go in with a CEO, you want control of everything. You know, you, you, you've, you've, like, think of the CEO where I work. He's got the confidence of the board, but he sets the strategy. So, you know, he decides which markets we're in, how heavy we're going into, into the markets. So he's decided the, you know, the culture and values of the company. And, and to me, Omar's he sat there in the middle of this very quiet, very thoughtful guy, between the glazers who want things their way. And, and, and the Radcliffe camp will be pushing to do things their way. And I, I just think he's kind of uh, the, the servant of two masters, um, which will be a very different scenario to the one he's used to at City. So, you know, on, on a personal level, and I've sent, I've sent him a message to wish him all the best, but obviously not United. Um, on a personal level, I hope, you've got to say, he told me, he said, I agonised about this for many months. But it's a great opportunity, you know, you think going to be a chief, but you've been in the shadows um, all the time. So, you know, Chief is the guy on the football side, um, Soriano's the CEO, um, you know, um, uh, Will DeVries, who, again, not many people are familiar with, he's the overall chief operating officer at City Football Group. And, 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 and um, Omar's sort of between all three of them somewhere. Um, and you can't blame him for wanting to take on a big job and test himself. Because I know he said to me, you know, I like a challenge, I like to take a risk. So you can't blame him for taking the job in, in many ways. Whether he should have been with the United, but they obviously come after him. Um, I think we'll survive. You know, the club's not going to fall a bit. Pep went. If, if Chicky Bagheri Stan went, we, we might have a problem replacing that. Well, we would have a problem replacing Pep probably, but... We'll replace him. We'll find someone to do the other. Um, Ramar was still there. He was basically doing the job that Omar was doing before uh, people gave a stand came along. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go on, but I think he's going to a bit of a lion's den where he's going to be trying to keep the two sides, well, uh, hopefully trying to keep them apart rather than keeping them together. Um, but, but I think there's very different situations going into. And, and and I think you'd have to be a big, um, uh, Paul, Paul Bias, Paul Bias, who's very close to Pep, did a nice write-up of him, so he has no ego, he's not the biggest voice in the room. And that's the guy I knew. I think you've got to be a big voice in the room if you're going to be CEO at United in the situation that he's going into with two parties 
who will be at, at some point will be at cross purposes, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, he's taking a risk. Uh, we wish him well. Don't don't wish anything ill of um, of him. Uh, I know a lot of city supporters who who did, but guys, let's just remember he did not scout those players. He did not coach them. He did not train them. So it's not a question of uh, of that kind of influence. But um, um, as we're coming to an end, Colin, I, I just wanted to talk to you about. Um, Stefan's interview with uh, TalkSport. Now, the essence of his argument, um, and I, I think Bernard knows this too, is that it's going to be very, very difficult to prosecute for the simple reason that there are too many parties. With Stefan's argument, there are too many parties in all kinds of different situations that you've got to pin a needle on. And Stefan reckons they're not going to be able to make that case. Um, what do you think, uh, Colin? Well, yeah, I mean, Stefan's right in, in that sense because when we went to Cows, I, I, I said the Premier League has picked a very strange hill to die on, very bizarre hill to die on, because um, as I was saying earlier on Twitter, you know, the media have created this myth of 115 charges. And I remember someone saying, even City fans saying, well, 115, there must be something wrong. And I'm saying... Actually, it's not 115. When you look at the Premier League charge sheet, there's actually, you can probably know, you can probably talk about three substantive issues. One is the sponsorships, one is the payments for the players of image rights, and the other is the Mancini contract. Forget the Mancini contract, it's a complete red herring. The Premier League, but no hope of landing that one. The sponsorships, I think, the, the one we seem to be majoring on. When Stefan said, we're well, into CAS, the corporate arbitration is sport. Loads of people came forward and said, no, you know, that's not the way it was. The, the, the Etihad guys, the accountants, the external um, experts, everyone said that's not the way it was. And uh, the auditors, but, and Stefan's right, in, absolutely right in that sense. Uh, and I, I feel like I was corresponding with him um, just a bit earlier, a couple of hours ago. Uh, and he made a very good point that the charges only go up to 2018 because obviously they're based on the Spiegel articles and all, all the stuff that, that resonated from that. So we don't go any further than that. But he said, on the basis of that, on the basis of the primary charges, the auditors from 2019 to 2023 have been very careful about what they did, what they saw, what they looked at. There's no issues, nothing's changed. And um, as you say, a lot of people would have to... I, 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 how can I put this? I, I've been on the audit side myself. It's, it's relatively simple to hide something from auditors if you really want to. And we've seen that Enron. We've seen it at um, Mastercard, the German payment um, company, which was reporting 1.9 billion euros of cash that it didn't actually have. And the auditors didn't even bother to check. And um, there's this guy who was going to buy Sheffield United, this Nigerian entrepreneur, um, who, who was supposed to be a billionaire, richest man in Nigeria. And it turns out um, it was a complete myth. All, all this wealth was, was made up. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's not hard to, to, to it's not hard to fool. Well, sorry, not, you, you can fool an auditor, and, and some auditors don't do themselves uh, many favours. You, know, you, you can never be as an auditor. You can never be a hundred percent sure that, that what the company is telling you is correct. But when someone's got 100, 
totally this 1.9 billion cash on the balance sheet. You would imagine they'd have checked that, but instantly younger thing with the wire card auditors they didn't. Uh, Enron was a complete, you know, um, Russian doll scenario where the more layers you peeled away, the less you found uh, of substance. So yes, you, you can fool the auditors, but there's so many other people involved. But for me, the core argument is not not that you'd have to fool so many people because that implies you could try to fool them, but we've done nothing wrong. Yeah, that's why that's why no one's been fooled because there's nothing to fool. Um, you know, to, to me, that's a bit of a negative argument that we've had to fool all these people. Actually, we've done nothing wrong. Yeah, I mean, the way the media is acting, they are hoping to like drag someone out in front of the the cameras. You know, someone like Nick Leeson, who, by the way, is a Man City fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And. Um, well, you know, get get this uh, like smoking gun character out there so that we can all um, you know persecute him. It's not going to be like that. Harris, Nick Harris appearing on Twitter for a whistleblower. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Paul Addy is is not having it. I, I ironically named uh, at Sporting Intel. Yeah, there's an irony. Yeah, the poor, I'm not going to go into it. The poor lads have a bad time of it the last few years. I, I'm just I'm just so surprised at uh, Stefan for going on in front of that that idiot on top sport because um, all the time i've got to mention this i mentioned it to colin before and all the time that stefan was talking and uh, making very reasonable points he was mugging to the camera he was sighing um and um you're just thinking really just really in really hayworth i mean just let's stop and just listen to what the guy is saying but you're not going to get that on that show <laughs> well, well no i mean you're not going to get it i mean talks about its whole model is good cop bad cop isn't it but it's about being controversial it's about saying things to get people ringing in it's about you know you've got two presenters and one will say one thing and the other um uh Durham and uh, who's the guy who's with adrian Durham and coffee the guy who's with him right? but they're, they're perfect at that um mm -hmm. That, that's that's punch and Judy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's knockabout stuff. But, but, but you know, I, I, I don't know why people fall for it. And we'll get people on Blue Moon on Twitter saying, did you hear what Simon Jordan said? He can't really believe that, though. <laughs> he really doesn't believe it. You know, the producers say, right, today, I, I, I remember reading a book many years ago. It was about um, a CIA whistleblower, a guy called Philip Ag. I think his name was. And, and he'd worked for the CIA in um, in, in South America. And um, they had a cover story. If anyone wanted to check their credentials, they had a cover story. And um, they had to ring, the people had to ring a number. And he said there were two people operating this phone line. And uh, one, one was supposed to be a colonel and one was a, a major. And they take it in turns to swap. So one day one would be the major, one would be the colonel, and the next day we do it the other way around. Talk to us a bit like that. You know, one's the good cop, one's the bad cop. Um, and, and we just, you know, but I suspect the producer tells them to take a particular line. But yeah, it talks about, you know, if you want to go, if you want to make a serious point, you go on Radio 4. You know, if you want to be kind of the, 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 the straight man to Simon Jordan's, you know, only wise to write to Simon Jordan's Eric Morecambe, then you're going to talk sport. Like, great. I, I think it was great that Stefan went, oh, and he kept his cool, uh, and he kept talking sensibly, uh, uh, and, and um, yeah, how he didn't run the mic, where it, it might have got a bit muffled, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it's a part of his body that Jordan talks out of, so yeah, it might have been clearer actually. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're going to talk sports to talk. All right, guys, now we're, we're at the end, and uh, we always do two things before we finish. Uh, one of the things we do is ask Bernard, um, any results around the planet that uh, made you raise an eyebrow? I mean, uh, amongst our rivals and, and other things? What, what well, I, remember, do you think? I remember going to Ipswich a few times uh, back in the day when they were in the top division and obviously semi-finals, etc. Um, that was a very interesting result with Mainstone. I mean, all, all, all credit to him for that. I mean, that was a wonderful result. I've not seen it, but I think it was a bit like City, wasn't it? I think Ipswich had 40 chances and they had one or uh, two and uh, two or there. Two. That's a normal City thing. I see uh, Everton... Lost in it of Luton, they're out of Newcastle. Yeah, uh, so we've got the big games tomorrow, haven't we? Let's hope uh, we get drawn Newport County in the next round when they beat that rabble from down the road. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And of course, we do have a we're back to Premier League action next Wednesday, Burnley. So, uh, old Vinny's in town, so uh, I don't think we'll be doing him any favours, hopefully, because we need that uh, we need to stop Klopp getting that Premier League title, don't we? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, have you anything else about the football world that made you uh, arch your eyebrows? Uh, I think we talked about most of them, haven't we? Yeah, of course, we've not talked about the um, the stuff going on with Premier League profit sustainability rules with Everton on the 10-point deduction and uh, Everton again uh, and, and Forrest being um, charged or, or, or being referred to the Independent Commission. Um, there was a funny thing about the Everton thing. I'll just go into it quickly. Uh, I won't go into it in any great detail, but Premier League proposed a tariff of punishments for um, clubs that fail their profit sustainability rules. They're not as comprehensive as UEFA's, they're, they're much more generous. So um, the Premier League proposed that any club that failed had an automatic six-point penalty, and then they would increase that by an extra point for every five million that were over the maximum allowable loss. So so. Everton were 19.5 million over the maximum allowable loss of 105 million. So you're looking at potentially a, an, an extra four-point penalty, maybe a three additional points on the Premier League's tariff. So that's nine or a ten-point penalty, right? Remember that. Mm -hmm. The Premier Commission rejected the Premier League view and said, no, we're not working to a tariff. We're the Independent Commission. It's up to us to decide what the appropriate punishment is. And that's fair enough, that's a logical point of view. And then we impose a 10-point deduction. Uh, oh, no, so the Premier League then went to requested a 12-point deduction when their own tariff, oh, their own tariff would have said 9, maybe 10, depending on if you round it up or not. So the Premier League had already gone against their own tariff, I want you to answer a couple of points. And then the Independent Commission imposed a 10-point penalty, which is exactly what they did in would have imposed if they'd accepted the Premier League's tariffs. So it all seemed a bit, you know, obviously Wonderland a bit to me. So, uh, yeah, there was nothing wrong You can see the, the impact, the series now. You can see the impact because players and teams aren't doing the deals, are they, this window? It's really funny, is it, on social media, people don't get that the Everton case and the Northern Forest case is not the same as Man City's case, and they're no, no. demanding, you know, equal treatment when when it, it's very, very different. But, but I, I, compared mean, it, yeah. I compared it to 
Everton getting speeding ticket, for example. You know, if the limit's 30, I got done a few years ago. The limit's 30, I got done at 37. Uh, and apparently I would have got leeway up to 36 because there's a three miles an hour plus 10%. I'll tell you what, guys, I've actually been in the back of a car with Colin Savage. Somebody needed to do him um, <laughs> one time or another because... You're not the first to say that, man. He's, he's fast, he's fast. <laughs> you get a bit of leeway, and if you go over the limit, by, you know, by that, more than that leeway, you're going to get a fine. Simple stuff. Did you speak? Okay. Did you not? Might be able to prove mitigation, you know, hospital because your mother is dying or something. Actually, <laughs> it's simple. You know, thirty-seven in the thirty limit, you're going to get. I, I did a speed awareness course, but such as is like much more akin to a complex commercial contract dispute in the high court. And I know I've seen a few of these over the years. In my earlier days, I was involved in a case that. Um, between um, British Midland Airways as well so, and, and the Yemeni airline or Yemeni government about payments for... And, and this case went on for years. You know, and there's so much prep you have to do. And, you know, it, it will result in a number of hearings and, and the judge may say, well, you know, must I go away and do that? And, you know, so it's not a simple case, a very complex case. Uh, whereas everything you can compare to a speeding case, you know, you do X, the limit's Y, you're going to get fined. Uh, the, the main thing is, of course, uh, Everton were guilty, we were not. Simple as that. Yes. <laughs> and even said, even said the Everton verdict. And there were like 55,000 pages of documents. Well, ours is a much more complex case. You can imagine what the documentation is. Mm. So, so all this nonsense, um, uh, you know, and again, you see it from the media. The, the, you know, the, the legal and financial experts like Jamie Carragher, Graves Soonis, come out of those little rubbish about City it to their fans to get this done as quickly as possible. Well, it's not our job to clear our name. Well, it is our job to clear our name. It's the Premier League's job to prove their case and us to defend that. You know, we've no interest in doing this uh, like tomorrow because, you know, it's a, as I say, it's a complex legal case with lots of things to consider. Well, I say the 115 charge is a bit of a media myth. There are basically three substantive issues that have to be resolved, but uh, it, it, at least two of those have been resolved um, by UEFA in the past. So, so that's why I say it's a strange hill to die on. But again, the, you know, um, if, if, if some of these people have been, been accused of a major crime, they wouldn't be rushing to court on day two, so I'm going to defend myself. They take the time to get their defense together. Mm -hmm. You know, you want as much on your side. I, I just read the book, The Secret Barrister. It's very intriguing about, you know, the law and delays and how long it takes a case to come to court and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and you know, people say, City, well, uh, City need to get this, need to plead their case as soon as possible. Oh, nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, Bernard, bring us home. What's next for, what's next for Man City? Yeah, right, so we've got the Burnley game. Uh, very important, get three points. Uh, will we see Erling, of course? Will he make a, a, an appearance? Will he be on the bench? This injury's gone on for 
quite a long time now, hasn't it? It was nothing really, was it, when it first happened, but of course, uh, we've not seen him for about uh, 12 months or something like that, well, it feels like that anyway, but uh, yeah, we, we should stuff Burma, let's be honest about it, but uh, of course, uh, and then we got a little trip to Brentford after that, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't want to do the dirty on Vinny, but I think he's a dead man walking at the moment anyway, unless something changes, so we uh, We'll do our bit and let him worry about his bit. Yeah, Colin, uh, Vinny is not much, not much longer for this world, you would think. Oh, I'm trying to think all well. I, I don't know. No, you don't. It's such a good... It's a funny one, isn't it? Because sometimes you get teams come up and they stay around. So you look at Brentford, you look at Brighton, um, Fulham. You know, they're, they're all teams that have come up and uh, stayed up, done a very good job. Um, I think it's fair to say, and there's others. When we get three teams like Luton, Sheffield United and Burnley, all look, possibly one of them might survive by the skin of the teeth, but you know, the chances are all three will be going back down. And is it a question of the gap is too big? You know, because Burnley, Luton, Sheffield United, they're all, you look at Leicester running away with the Championship, although the Championship could has been a funny one. They're used to the Premier League. They've had a few years of Premier League money. Uh, you know, it, and it must be difficult for the owners of the clubs to say, but let's let's throw everything at it um, because uh, because the risk is if you do that, of course, you do go down, and um, you, you're in a financial mess. But um, you know, you look at Luton, look at Luton, they have a f- fantastic story, but you can't imagine the owners ever thought they'd be up in the Premier League. And, and, and um, you know, Sheffield United, another club on the verges. Burnley, of course, have been in the Premier League. Dyke, not desperately successful. It was about survival. But even, you know, Sean Dyke's look ran out uh, a little bit. So uh, it's hard to tell. You know, they did so well in the Championship. They did so poorly in the Premier League. It's a big goal. You know, it's such a big step up in, in class. But some, some clubs... Liverpool are looking for a new manager, aren't they? How about Vinny for Liverpool? Would that please us? Would that please us all? No, um... Roy Hodgson, he's, you know, looks oh, like he's leaving Palace. Um, you know, he knows Liverpool, knows Liverpool well, could go back there and, and, and do a job. But, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, I don't know. I, you know. I'm sympathetic to Vinny. I think he's, it's too big a hurdle to, to be, be successful in the, in, the, in the Premier League. I don't know whether they'll, if they drop down and they sack him, is anyone else going to get them up? Because you, you, know, you, you could say, They'll drop down, they'll hang on to him, he'll get them back up again. Is it Doug, Doug, the Burnley guy? I'm going on his channel on Tuesday night before the game, so I'll, I'll try and pump him for why Vinny's letting him, you know, why Vinny's failing so badly. You can see when you see Burnley, you can see what he's trying to do. He's trying to copy uh, Pep and, and, you know, play football, but the players are quite up to it. He hasn't got the quality there to, to do that, unfortunately. I, I, you know, all right guys let's uh, wrap it up here i hope you've enjoyed this as much as uh, i've done now i will do my best to threaten beg colin to come back on i don't know how successful i'll, I'll be but I'll, I'll be fighting for you i'll be fighting for you but let's let's uh, leave it uh, there for now i think uh, well that's 19 minutes you've got good value for your money so well, no money, <laughs> but uh, finish, finish, finishing off in the in the normal way by saying, "Have one of us." And up the blues, guys. Up the blues. Up the super blues. Well, obviously I did, but you know, for many years, I went for King of the Kipax. That's what. That's what I think you should do. 
You can you should jack that in and just just you know something something about rents. I need to pay me rents and support my my photography habits for the moment. So uh, yeah, so yeah, it's all right. You know, I'll, I'll get over it. But uh, and, and, um, there's a possibility of moving back to the civil service and on their reserve list for a particular role. So if another role comes up, well, they've got to offer it to me. So and to shoot over to the other side of the pond and join your son over there in uh, yeah, well, I've got um, much, I've got two little granddaughters here, so you know, I, I, you know, I'd I, I love to live in the U US. There's lots of great things about it, but lots of bad things about it as well. You know, it's um, so yeah. So um, it just seems to be one thing after another. Then it's sort of moving, but so I've been in my place seven years. Mm -hmm. I, I, I shouldn't, shouldn't be out by the, I shouldn't be out by I, I, I can move any time I want I've seen a place I quite like it's, it's not, not exactly perfect but it's good enough, more than good enough so I can move where, where, where is that? Well, I live in North Manchester, so Presswich I will be back in Presswich so I could keep right. my Presswich Blue username which will be quite yeah. good because um, uh, where I live at is I know you've not been here it's, it's quite nice it, it's a working class area it's a nice development. It's got a nice outlook. It's safe. It's quiet. 